0: Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this episode, my guest is the writer, R.J. Barker. For those that don't know R.J., he's the award-winning author of The Bone Ships, the first book in the Tide Child trilogy. That has taken me so many takes to say The Tide Child trilogy. It just doesn't roll off the tongue for me. Uh, I call it The Bone Ships Trilogy. The books are called The Bone Ships, Call of the Bone Ships, and The Bone Ships Wake. It's The Bone Ships Trilogy. Yes, Tide Child does make sense when you read the books, but it's just, it's hard to say, and it, you know, it's hard to find in a bookshop when you're just looking for the Bone Ship trilogy. But I know RJ now, I've spoken to him, I think he just likes to fuck with people, and certainly with his debut trilogy, the Wounded Kingdom trilogy, they're assassin books. It's the Age of Assassins, Blood of Assassins, King of Assassins, it's the Assassin trilogy. But yeah, he writes fantasy, They're full of dragons, assassins, and bird wizards. He doesn't always write fantasy. uh, Some people actually know him as the crime writer R.J. Dark. He's written a book called A Numbers Game. So we have a bit of a chat about pseudonyms. Um, He's an odd guy. I don't think that's a criticism. I think that's he'd be quite proud of that. It's a great chat. He's possibly one of the funniest people I've interviewed, and I think you'll really like this episode. Uh, I know some people will definitely like this episode because R.J. was actually requested to be a guest by my Twitter followers. So thank you, followers on Twitter. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's at the real writing with the number one at the end, just because the real writing process is too long for uh, Twitter, unfortunately. So uh, yeah, so he was requested, I got him on, we had a lovely chat. And this is the very first interview I did for Season 2. This was right back at the beginning of January 2022. In fact, Season 1 was still going out, and I make reference to that uh, in this interview. It's very strange. Uh, A lot has happened since then. Anyway, uh, that's the intro. I'll play a jingle. You'll listen to the interview, and there'll be a bit of chat at the end. Okay, talk to you later. Hello, and today my guest, I'm very pleased to say, is the author RJ Barker. RJ, hello. 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 Hello, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah. Great. And my first question, as always, what are we drinking?
1: Well, I, well I'm actually, I'm betraying my Northern heritage because we're drinking a Mancunian drink, which is, um, are. people are expecting me to say Boddington's, can't <laughs> yeah. I, I bet everyone else turns up with, with beer or something like that. But Vimto, which I'm I'm slightly obsessed with, I've got a
0: Soda Stream. Fizzy Vimto. Yeah. That takes me that.
1: Busy Vimto. Well, yeah. I'm fancy. Well, so, because yeah, I don't drink.
0: So. Okay, and so <laughs> with Vimto, how long have you been a, a Vimto drinker?
1: I've been a Vimto drinker all my life, on and off. And then I was at a friend in Manchester. So it was freezing cold, and they said, Do "You want some hot Vimto?" And I was like, "What's well, this madness? You talk hot Vimto?" I said, no, it's no summer drink, ice in it. That's Vimto. And anyway, no, no, you're wrong. And they made me hot Vimto, and it's just astounding. If you've got a bit of a cold or something. Mm. It's it's absolutely just amazing. It's the perfect drink. It used to be hot Ribena, now I'm hot Vimto. If I'm feeling a bit ill, the, there's
0: definitely it. yeah, there's definitely a difference. You, you can't substitute. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. No. I used to date a Mancunian, mm. and again, it was that uh, yeah, that cold sort of thing. As a southerner myself, it was always lucas Aid. Yeah, when yeah. you get cold, I have Luke's Manchester mm. is hot Vimto. I was like, oh hello. It has all the nice bits of cough medicine without any of the horrible bits.
1: Yeah, that's a really good way of describing it. So yeah.
0: it that that's it's, what's it's, always appealed to me. Yeah. And and it, and it looks like it looks like wine
1: as well. Because <laughs> I don't drink for any sort of exciting, great story. It'd be good if I had a really good story about having problems of being a touched artist. But I don't. I, I got really ill and I stopped drinking because I was ill. Mm. Um and I realized that I, I was drinking for confidence. I don't actually need it. I'm quite right. confident. And then I realized that I don't like hangovers. And when you don't drink, suddenly you don't think, oh, God, what did I say last night? And that's all kind of gone. So now if I say something really stupid or awful, it's entirely my own fault. I <laughs> can't blame anything. Yeah. So, And I've just never got back into the habit. But I do kind of miss having a glass of wine. Yeah. I like it.
0: Yeah, I, I think. There's definitely cultural aspects to, mm. like you say, the tortured artist and the alcoholic writer. But I, I think Vimto is a, is a fine subject. Is this? Would you drink Vimto through a writing session, or is it more of a reward? Oh, it, one
1: no, no, no. I'd have a glass of Vimto. I, I might go crazy. I might have Coca-Cola if I'm feeling
0: particular. Oh, you
2: know, very spicy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm trying to cut down on the amount of sugar because I've got a Crohn's disease, which okay. means I can't eat basically anything healthy. I've got a doctor's note that says I have to live off sweets and, and like me. Because my yeah. body can't process stuff properly but i think i think at some point they're just going to turn up and go look ajay you've got diabetes but i can't abide sugar-free drinks i can no, yeah, it, that, it's
0: so I... noticeable now i think with the sugar mm. tax and they've brought in all the mm. sugar-free things that like when you do get sugar it's like oh here's a kick
1: and and uh, some people i don't think i think they can't taste this the sweetness but i can no. it's like my, my, my other half she can't tell the okay. difference she has to go, which of these is diet when you only get drinks and you don't want to Wow. So I, I test, You can't tell the difference, but I was I like, to, oh, yeah, I know what
0: that for is. For me, it's almost like a texture. I think that yeah. a a good sugary drink, it, it feels slightly thicker in my mouth. because There's more mm. substance to it. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's
1: just better. We're children of the 90s. We know sugar is good for us. <laughs> yes. despite Despite yeah. science. Well, yeah. I'm not listening to that bit of
0: science. No, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. We're still, We're still alive. We're still alive. So it must be fine. <laughs> and <laughs> so you're in Leeds at the moment. And yeah. can you describe where you are uh, to our listeners? So the room you're in at the moment, where Where are you?
1: Yeah. Oh, you see, I'm not in the good room because I've been kicked out by my family because it's Christmas. It's not, it's after Christmas. It's the third, second day of 2002, 22.
0: It's the third.
1: It's the third. Yeah, I'm in our bedroom which is a room in a 17th century mansion that was once owned by the family of Scott of the Antarctic. Oh, nice. and that's my claim to them. It was their coach house. And it's usually my wife's office. Mm-hmm. So there's all her stuff. And she's, she's also very creative. She's arty. She's a designer. And her creative process is a lot more messier <laughs> than mine. Yeah. So, so it, it's not my, I couldn't work in is this area, but it works for her. Right. But I've been kicked out of where I would work. It's our front room, which is massive, and it's covered in dead animals everywhere. Very old ones. We don't, we don't have them killed, especially for us. <laughs> we are, we're a we're home Recycled for things death. that... Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of, we end up with a lot of taxidermy that has been in museums. Oh, wow. they don't have a place for it because it's a bit rubbish <laughs> now, and it's kind of a bit manky. And there's a writer called John Courtney Brimwood, mm. who's absolutely brilliant. And he put on his Facebook that he had a leopard skin rug that was like a family heirloom. And he said, but it's, it's got holes in it. It's not very nice, but I don't want to throw it out because he he was raised with it, mm. uh, and there were just like a hundred people underneath. So you should give it to Archie. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'll take it, and and he did. It yeah. lives on the back of our our phone now, and and he's he's got Amazing. a pirate hat and a patch. No, he's got a turban and a patch now. Amazing, it was a pirate hat.
0: That's yeah, great. so so it's yeah. a bit of an order and chaos yin and yang with the, your wife and yourself.
1: Well. I think my chaos is in my head. She's uh, actually, if you say, what have you got to do tomorrow? She can like reel off all the work and she knows when it's due and and when it's all coming and she has diaries and stuff, Mm. but she has a lot of stuff. Yeah. If you say, what have you got, when's your deadline? I don't know. know, Write a book. (laughs) And My chaos is in my head, but I don't like stuff. So it's all just, I do have a notebook that I have here, but I just doodle on it. I don't actually write anything useful. (laughs) Or I write notes stuff that I'm going to do and then forget them and that's, that seems to be part of my process
0: because it's ring bound for our listeners it's a ring bound notebook yeah is it useful to have terrible pages that you can just rip out
1: no no I, I always throw things away and I don't keep stuff but um this is a bit of a cheat because it's not actually what it looks like it's me trying to micromanage my wife um it's a rock a rocket book okay it, is, it feels like paper and you use special pens and, and you can make your notes and then just wipe them off but um, you take a picture of your phone, it uploads it to a thing. So uh-huh. I kind of got it as a as a, a present from wife. to say maybe this might work for you because you can take all your notes and and that oh, okay. now <laughs> hey I want bits of paper that I can throw all around the room and say, yeah. oh, okay. So it's come to me now. But I I just use whatever is there when I'm writing yeah. stuff down. I have like notes and then they go in the bin. Because I never look back. So it's not, yeah. it's about churning through the stuff in my head rather than going back and referencing stuff i'm not a yeah. referencing person
0: you don't have a special pen and a special book for each project or anything like that
1: no i don't have even have a special place i can write more or less once i'm in the zone it doesn't matter yeah. where i am because I'm, I'm in the story and that's all yeah. that matters and i'm off so, yeah, as long as i have a computer with a google okay. keyboard
0: okay so do you have a, a desktop computer or do you have a laptop that you can just take wherever
1: i have two laptops Okay. I have this, the one we're on now, which mm-hmm. is a Microsoft Surface laptop, which I, I love a lot. It's really nice, and it just works. It works really well with Word because it's made by Microsoft, so yep. it should do. Um, <laughs> and then I have a Microsoft Surface Go. Which is like a tablet with a detachable yeah. keyboard.
0: I've seen those, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, and I take that with me places, telling myself that I'm going to write on the train, but I never do. <laughs> it just goes in my computer bag, and it was a lot of money that i've uh, never used but I'm telling from that just between you and me yeah um, but it looks good yeah, yeah.
0: it looks like you, you, you just, could
2: yeah
1: yeah it's better, I could. It's
0: better I, to have it and not need it than yeah. need it and not have it
1: yeah it's it's actually what i use for a lot of edits okay. and co- copy edits because it it changes i use it as a tablet and it changes the way you look at the text because mm. it used to be that publishers would send you it printed out but they don't do that anymore with COVID has provided a convenient excuse for them (laughs) not to. So I use tablet or I use, I used to use my Kindle, but it's killed Kindle for me now. I can't read anything off it because it puts my head into that. Oh, I'm criticizing this. I'm looking for the things that are wrong with it. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, And it just means I can't enjoy anything. I read on it because I'm just...
0: You've got that association. It's work. Yeah. It's not pleasure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Even the authors I really love. If Mm. I start on Kindle now, i just grind to a hole. It has to be actual books, which I feel quite cheated actually. Yeah. But my son's, my son has stolen my Kindle anyway. It's just okay. like, well, I love this if you're yeah. not using it.
2: because
1: he reads an awful lot. stuff. So. and he yeah. won't throw his books out. So, that the house no. is just all full, full of his books.
0: Well, that, I'll have a yeah. Kid. I'm the same. It's just, I've tried sort of reading on the Kindle, but there's just something of the tactile nature. I think it's, it's the reading equivalent of a sugary drink. It's just, you yeah. have it and you know how far you've gotten to the end because you can feel it between yeah. your thumb and forefinger. I like to pages. I know some people don't,
1: but I like to fold pages okay, yeah. because like then if I reread that book, I'll be able to see where I stopped. Mm. And I really like that. These are my footprints in this book that I can see where I've been. Yeah, I'm not a things person. Okay. I'm not attached to a book as a physical object. I'm, I'm mm. attached to what's in it. There's a few that are special books to me, but most of them, they're, they're just a machine for getting yeah. the story into my head.
0: Yeah. I, I don't get precious <laughs> over the individual editions of books, because mm. I know some people would react in horror at folding a page or breaking a spine or stuff like that. Mm. I like a well worn book. It shows how much mm. I loved it and have read it. And yeah. if I wear it to the point it's unreadable, then I buy another copy. And there's a joy mm. in knowing that I've worn out a book that I need a new yeah. one. So, yeah, i don't get precious over books.
1: There is weird ones, though. Like I love Patrick O'Brien mm. and some of the books of his I have are falling apart, but I have to replace them with the same ones because the covers are really beautiful drawings, yeah. paintings of ships. And for me, that's an art object, slightly different. Mm. They're really, I like ships. There's a beauty to a sailing ship yeah. that I just really enjoy.
0: So are you quite attached to the cover art of your own books? Is that a long process or is that something that the publishers just go, you're having this?
1: Yeah. They just go, you're having this and you go, oh, okay. And and I did have quite a bit of trouble when my first books came because they were not how I imagined my covers. And my agent eventually just said to me, Look, these are the covers are not for you. They're a vehicle to sell your book. They're to make people pick it up. Yeah. That's all they're for. They're not for you to enjoy it. And I was like, All right, killing. And I can disassociate myself to a degree. But yeah, I think if I was in charge, they'd be very different. I, I, I like art. So yeah. I think that. I don't think anyone will buy them. I think people say, What what on earth is that book about? I'm not touching.
0: Because yeah. you don't
1: realize until you're within it mm. how much it's coded. Like it is coded. I
0: yeah. Mm. I've heard that from a lot of authors actually who've been yeah. the same of they haven't liked it, but they go, you're in this genre. If you want people yeah. to pick it up, they have to recognize it as the type of book they'll like from the cover.
1: Yeah. My first book, the um, Wounded Kingdom books. I, I was quite convinced they were crime books that just happened to take place in a fantasy world. Yeah. Um, I and my agent just went, "No, they're epic fantasy books. That's good. Why are they epic fantasy books anyway? Because that means I can sell them." And I was like, "Okay then. Hey, <laughs> that's how it works. That's how it works." So, mm. he, and he did. So, so he knows what he's doing. Okay. Um, but yeah, but, but uh, to me, they're crime novels. They're, mm. they're sort of structured as crime novels. But so, it's a big love of mine is crime. And then, yeah. I've learned I just marketing knows what it's doing. Nobody yeah. understands it. Not even your sure marketing understands it, but yeah. they make it work. And obviously my books are sold. So, Yeah.
0: So. To burst the magic bubble of uh, your love of fantasy and crime. Obviously some mm. are under a pseudonym. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, there's, there's another me. Yeah. So how did that come back? Was that a conscious conversation with your agent or publishers to say, well, if you want to release these books, it'll be better under another name? Or was it an idea that you thought these are so different? that I might have to I, create a persona.
1: I would like to have released it all under my name, mm. if it was up to me, but it was my agent's advice not to. I do wonder if somewhere buried in my contracts is a thing saying that this is RJ Vakron, it's who you are. You are a fantasy writer. You have to be that. Cause I don't read my contracts. So that's what he's paid for. Yeah. I don't understand them anyway, but it's quite nice. Cause when somebody gets in touch with you about them, you immediately know what book it's about. Yeah. Which I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. And, and. Weirdly, the books that come out as R.J. Dark, which is my other persona. I actually get more email about those. So they don't sell nearly as much than, than I do about the fantasy books. They, they seem to, the people that read them seem to really connect with them, which is okay. really lovely. That's nice. And they're probably the oldest idea that I've ever gone back to.
0: Okay.
1: Everything else is new, but they're an idea I've had for well over a decade. Mm. Those two characters have been sort of, I'm really attached to them. And whether they sell or not, I'm going to continue writing just because I enjoy doing it. It's like a little bit of that. So it's jolly
0: for me what changed with those characters that you had them percolating in your head and then suddenly they snapped to the forefront now i've got a story for them what was the missing piece that was like i need to write this now
1: there's two two characters in the books there's there's mal jones who's a pretend medium he never changed he was always the same he's Mm. personality wise quite close to me in, in in sense of humor and the fact that he's yep. terrified of violence so will run away and, and stuff like that otherwise very much not like his next drug addict and i are too lazy to be a drug addict it takes a lot of work i've seen addicts terribly tiring and and then his friend jackie and uh, jackie changed quite a lot he, he was various different people and then he was never quite his personality was always the same but who he was and it wasn't until i settled on jackie as this Sikh boy raised by a white family on a predominantly white council estate who doesn't belong anywhere and that kind of crystallized in these two outsiders and why they would be together and why they're such good friends but i'd always been trying to tell the story of what brought them together Uh, and that was a murder mystery and it exists and i will and each time i'd done it i got about twenty thousand words in it and then i just realized it was like a flash just that's like novel number three or four that's not your first book and the plot for the first book just landed in my head as it did with age of assassins my my first book that sold, I thought, well, God, I can write this. And I did. I just wrote it, flew straight to it. And, and as soon as you've done that, when you've finished a book, it's a psychological kind of step because mm. you can do it then. You, you know these characters. I know how they talk, and I, I know how they interact, and I know how they react to situations. It's just a matter of throwing things up and then letting it write itself. It's mm. really fun to do. But the fancy's harder. because so That's more you have to make stuff up. But writing out, well, world, everybody knows what it's like already. So yeah, that, that's what changed. I just suddenly realized I was writing the wrong book. And once I read the right book, it, it was easy then.
0: Okay, so are, are you planning a prequel book then for book three? Is it something that... No,
1: books one, two, and three are written. They're in the editing process. Probably book four or five will be that, but it's not a prequel. It's about how their past comes back to bite. How, how things that were that have never been discussed or overlooked can suddenly reappear much later in your life and cause problems. And it revolves around something that they thought... Was not a mystery, and it turns out it is, or, or is it? And um, and I like I like stuff like that, right. uh, and it pushes their friendship, pushes them into an adversarial position yeah. against each other. So you have to stretch that, right. which is quite a fun. I'm looking forward to doing. It
0: so is that going to be your next project? So you're editing the earlier books now, or is there another fantasy that's going to sort of space between the books that you've written? I, I
1: write a lot. <laughs> <laughs> i love writing i really yeah. the act of doing it I, I've, I've always said this I don't, I don't really as a writer hold to the idea of genre i, I think it's a useful tool for selling things it, it's all just clothes for telling stories whether it's yeah. fantasy or science fiction or crime or whatever i've just got back my edit letter for my newest fantasy book which is vaguely robin hood based and the things she pointed out were the things that bugged me about it. And she said, we, we can go ahead with this as it is if you want, but I did notice these things. Maybe we could mess about with them. And because they're exactly the same things that I thought about, I like, yeah, yeah, maybe we should. So I'm doing that. That's the thing I should be doing. That's my, my proper job. I'm going through that. I've got a, got an edit to do, so that's probably about a month, month and a half. And then I've got a copy edit to do for the second Mal and Jackie book. That's not as hard. That's just, can I put up with this? Yeah, yeah, you, you can take that comma out. I use far too many commas. Um, And then um, I wrote like a cozy crime book, Mm -hmm. Uh, my agent sent me edits for that. So I've got that to go through, but that's a speculative project. Okay. So that's when I can fit it in. I'll come back and do that. I'll give myself a month. And then I've got the second in my new fantasy trilogy to write. sounds like an awful lot when I do it like this. (laughs) And then I I said to myself, I'm taking Christmas and new year off. I'm not writing. I'm not doing any of these things I meant to do. I'm not doing anything. So I started a new book and I'm like 17,000 words into that now that I'm quite excited about. That's like a thriller But I was just laying in bed and I thought, could you do Jack Reacher in England without guns? Could you do something like, like that? No, you couldn't. And then I woke up in the morning and thought, oh no, you can. I, I can see how that could work. So I just started that and I'm quite pleased with that I did. You never know if it'll be anything, but that, yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just writing all the time.
0: So You don't do one project beginning to end, start a new project beginning to end. There's various projects on any kind of spinning the plates and multitasking. I
1: I think, in a way, I I do. I'll just write the fantasy novel and then I finish the fantasy novel and then I moved on to the next thing while I went with my editor to look at. And then I do the next thing. And then when I'm editing the fantasy novel, I'll probably edit the fantasy novel in the morning and then. Hmm. If I'm still excited about this new project, write a bit of that in the evenings. Do like a couple of thousand words, because they're very different voices. So I do tend to be stuck doing one thing mostly. Mm. And then I just line them up and go to, cause I write quite quickly. Yeah. I tend to blast through it. So yeah, I'm not actually spinning plates as much. I have all my plates lined up okay. and I'm moving them on as quickly as possible.
0: And when you said you edit in the morning, write in the evening, do you find that you're more like analytical in the mornings, and yeah, you know, more creative in the evenings, or is it just as you said, they're different voices, and it's one voice tends to benefit the morning, or one tends to benefit the evening? It's more
1: that the edit has to be done because yeah. I'm, being, I'm being paid for that, <laughs> yeah. so so I have to do that. So I'll yeah. do that. Yeah, I'll do the, do that in the morning, and then. If I still feel like it later on, I've got things that that I'm going to, then I'll I'll write right in the afternoon or the evening, but it doesn't matter if I don't, so I could be tired. So I do get tired quite quickly, but actual writing is the easiest part of it for me. It's just, it's like playing. It's like doing a video game or something like that. It's not, it's not actual work. I'm not sat there working stuff out. I'm just playing. I don't plan anything. I have a couple of ideas I want to touch on as I go through. And sometimes I know the end, mostly Mm -hmm. I do, surprise to me as the reader half
0: the time. So how long is a, a typical writing session for you, you know, in, in one particular day? Do you have a word count or is it just a couple of hours? Or is it because it's play, it's just when the whim mm. takes you. And so like, I'm gonna start now and then I'm i am done. I'm gonna stop now.
1: I write Monday to Friday when the boy's was at school and my wife's working and I try and do a minimum of a thousand words at least. Sometimes that'll be more, sometimes it'll be two, sometimes it'll be three. And usually that's about two or three hours at most. And then then I'll play video games quite a lot of the time, which is important research, as yeah. everybody knows. If I'm editing, I tend to edit for four or five hours a day. Because in my head I just think of it as reading. I'm just kind of thinking, oh, does that does that read how I want it to read? And just moving stuff about spit. Even though writing is fun, I think it's more intensive on, on my brain than editing is. Editing is putting things in the right place so yeah. the sentences feel like they're the right shape and so that the questions my editor has are answered Though i never know if i am actually answering them and i'm just i just thought well I hope this is what she means <laughs> but it, it's a different kind of head it's not as tiring and hmm. uh, now you've made me think about it because i don't i'm not a thinking about things person yeah. um, <laughs> i'm not sure i could write and then edit i think i might be exhausted
0: yeah I also think because you said it was like play and like Mm. a computer game or reading, Mm. it's the release after a very analytical sort of time where you're being very critical of things that you've done before, and then you can just well, I'm just going to make some stuff up and have fun. Uh, So so it makes sense to do it that way, absolutely. And when you finish a writing session, because again, I've like spoken to many authors and they. Everyone's different. Do you mm. like to have a stopping off point of, okay, I'm writing a scene or a selection of scenes, and then there's a a pause, a, a stopping point, or do you like to leave it mid-sentence, mid-scene, so that when you come back the next day, you, it's easier to pick up where you left off because it's in the middle of the action?
1: No, I like to finish at a place. Mm. Usually, it, it tends to work out I finish at the end of a chapter. Or, or, or the end of a scene within a chapter, but it's yeah. usually the end of a chapter. I usually write a chapter. But what I, I'll do is, as things occur to me, I, I put them as notes at the bottom mm-hmm. of the chapter. Okay. So when I finish the chapter, I copy and paste those into a new document and save that document, which I've learned that you have to do then, not the next day when you're halfway through it and your computer goes off and you lose it all. So I, I do that, so if I'm on chapter 11, I'll paste my thoughts that I've had. They might not be for chapter 12, they might be for like chapter 50 or whatever. And that's carried forward throughout the whole book. Mm. So, as I, as I, things occur to me, I don't use all of it. But I set up the next chapter for the next morning and I come and I say, I'm going to write, I've got a blank page, but I've got some ideas I can go at it. So, that's, that's the way I do it. I don't find starting hard. It's always exciting to start writing. It's just, oh, what, what we're doing? Where's this going
0: to go? Because you said you're not someone who, Really, create an outline beforehand, you know your end point, and mm. you know the, mm. the fun and the enjoyment's creating it, but you also said earlier, and there's something I wanted to pick up on that fantasy can be harder than crime fiction because you're actually creating a world and possibly yeah. languages and things like that. What is the hardest part of starting something new? Is it creating a uh, a three dimensional character? Is it the world building? Is it just coming up with a a fitting name? And which bit do you find the easiest out of those sort of things?
1: I don't really think of world building and characters and all these things as separate. I think they're very much the same thing. I'll usually have a few ideas. Like when I started The Bone Ships, I had this idea of a world without wood Mm -hmm. and big ships. Uh, And I had the idea of a matriarchy when I started. And then... I started with the character of Joron, who's someone referred to as a drunk xenophobe when we meet him. And that's quite fair. He's not very nice. And then it was just seeing where it goes in the world. Everything, I learn everything about my world on my first draft. And then I come back and I go through it again. And, and by the time that first draft, I really have quite a solid idea. about World building to me is time I could be writing. Mm. I'm, I'm immensely lazy. <laughs> I don't see the point in, yeah. in doing work that i am not going to use. So, so my, my world is... You see what you need to see as you go along, and, and then I'll work back and see how it works on the second mm. draft. So this makes sense. I never think of it as hard. I'm quite frightened of thinking it was hard because I think how you think of things, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy.
2: Yeah.
1: But the more I think, oh, what if I can't do it, it? Makes it more likely that I can't do it. So yeah. I, I just think, yeah, it'll, it'll all work out. I'll write it. it'll work out. It'll be fine. Yeah. And I have a few ideas of something that I think might be cool. Like yeah. when I wrote the board ships, I had the, Scene where we first see one of the sea monsters, because that was quite clear in my head. I thought, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. I want big sea monsters. And the thing I'm writing now, I, I had this really clear idea of unrealistically massive forests, okay. and I wanted to sell that to the reader. And and there's other stuff like, often the things that excite me in a story, are things that I can't tell you, because it might be things that doesn't happen till book, like not in book one, but it happens in book two, or it happens in book three, but I'm. I know I want to do yeah. it. And yeah, yeah. They're the things, like like the thing I'm doing now, the first book's the story, mm. and it's self-contained, but it's almost all entirely set up for stuff that's going to come later. Yeah. And as a reader, you'll come in and think, "Oh, oh, God, I I can see that. I can I can see how he did that. What what this was set up for, and it's not going
0: to be what you expect."
1: So yeah, but it it is all it's all very subconscious. What I do, I don't yeah. I don't think about Does, it.
0: Has that ever got you stuck at a point where you're writing? Uh, a later book in a series but something's happened in an earlier book that the physics or, or the, the laws and mm. the rules of the world deny you the thing that you want to write in say book three but it's impossible because of something that happened in book one because sometimes you get fans who are very pernickety <laughs> and say oh yeah. that couldn't happen because of this and has have you had an editor pick something up in a redraft in, about that
1: no not really because for me that moment where you do a thing and think, that can't happen in this world. Yeah. That's the fun. The fun is thinking, well, uh, how how can I make it happen? In the third Assassin book, I, I had kind of a, a rough idea once I started of where I was going. I knew the end of the book because mm. um, it was the end of the emotional arc of the whole trilogy. And I got to a point and I wrote a sentence and the sentence disobeyed an entire setup that I'd done throughout the first two books and it just ruined it. On one level, I thought, well, the sensible thing to do now is to delete that and just carry on as if it never happened. But there was a much noisier voice in the back of my head going, "Oh, come on, let's just see what happens. Let, let's just go with it." And it ended up being the engine for the entire plot. Oh wow! And and why this would happen, and and the thing I liked the most about it was was that I knew that one sentence mm. shouldn't work, and I made it work. So now I don't. Yeah, I'm not ever. And if somebody says, oh, you did this in this book and, and, and later on this happened, you just, yeah, mm. magic. <laughs> it's magic, magic happens. I'm not really into the idea of canon, mm. especially with fantasy. I think fantasy yeah. is as mythic. Yeah. Uh, as it, It's the continuation of the stories we would tell each other around, around the fireside mm. in the woods where we did not know what's out there. And, yeah. And mythic does not have to make sense. Yeah. The blind ships are deliberately set up. At the beginning to give you this kind of feel that maybe this is this, a story you're being told by someone in a place somewhere so i don't have to obey rules as i go Absolutely. through i mean just yeah it's a storyteller got you yeah. wrong that's <laughs> deliberate yeah it was a test actually unreliable so, yeah, narrator I'm, yeah all my narrators are highly unreliable <laughs> especially me i'm, I'm the worst um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't, I don't hold to the ideas of yeah. canon. And I also, I hate answers. Sometimes you'll see a review and a story particularly like this. I can't wait for him to explain why this happened. I'll just start thinking, why going you happen? <laughs> <I'm> no, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I'm not interested in that. I'm following a thing that interests me, and that's the story I'm telling. Yeah. And I'm not going to explain all this other stuff. Either. That's just so interesting. Yeah.
0: Enjoy it. <laughs> so, so you don't get tied to researching things then for accuracy? No,
1: so. no. I'm... I'm quite lucky that I have quite a broad knowledge base to start off with, and that's quite fun. But I know my own personality and I'm quite fascinated by stuff. I love history. I tried writing a book setting Napoleonic Wars, and all I did was read about Napoleonic Wars for three months. I didn't take notes, I just read <laughs> yeah. stuff about Napoleon. And honestly, I, right, I can't do that. It's not how my mind works. So, with the bone ships, my dad was a sailor. So, I knew a reason about ships. I've got loads of naval fiction. And books on the navy that, that i liked at that time and I thought, i'm thought i going to use those and then just try and create the feel of mm. the sea that's what i'm interested in i'm not interested in actually being technically right there are other writers that can do that for you if that's what if that's yeah. your thing and, and I, i'm a great believer that have a little bit of stuff that people can go that's right then you'll sell it you can sell it on that there was a reviewer quite rightly in the review pointed out that said look big ships of the line have a massive supply train that goes right back. And, and they do it in our history in England. Mm. So much of our language and our landscape is to do with our sailing history. And I knew that, but they have no place in the story I'm telling. It's just not about that. It, it's, so I, I could have gone out and, and done, not even research, just put in the knowledge that I have about that in these books. and mm. bored 90% of my readers silly with this stuff that's personally fascinating to me but not them mm. so i think research is often overrated and wing the rest of it
0: yeah i think we're we're all <laughs> vessels born out of our experiences and our influences and things that inspire us mm. and i think you know there's definitely a, a strong argument in creative writing and speculative fiction mm. that you just distill what you've learned and what you've read mm. and what inspires you uh, to create Because everything we write is a remix of everything that's gone before.
1: Yeah, I think my aim is to create something believable, not to Mm. make something real. Yeah, And they're very different. I'm not interested in realism. I'm interested in selling you something that you can buy into. And that anything you write, there is a degree of people who will know a lot about something. Yeah, Like sword fighting is... I I know enough about sword fighting to get away with it for Mm. most people. But I have friends who really know about sword fighting and my sword fight style just be like, oh, piss off RJ, you can't, can't do that. <laughs> but yeah. that's because they know and that's their thing. And you can't yeah. write for them. Yeah, You can't write for those people. Well, you can, but I'm not interested in it because it annoys them. It's funny, especially with the friends of mine. It's even <laughs> funny, but you're, you're kind of, you're writing to sell it to as many people as possible, not selling a physically take your money away, selling yeah. a buy into my world, buy yeah. into this. And, and that's my joy. Because yeah. God knows, if, if you know about sailing ships, don't. if it's your thing, don't read the <laughs> <laughs> I've ship. I've, I've got a friend who's a, a scuba diver and a sailor, and I sent it to him, and he sent me back the best bit of criticism I've ever had. Hmm. And he just said, I oh, did. Yeah, this is clearly the best thing you've written yet. Beautiful, engrossing world, and I loved it, but you know fuck all about boats. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I loved that. I just said, like, yeah, 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 that's right. But it sold it to him. He said, mm. I know it's wrong, but I'm in it.
0: Yeah. There. And I, I think it's compelling characters and the adventures that they go on. And mm. you will follow a compelling character anywhere yeah. in you know, any world that, that doesn't make sense. Alice mm. in Wonderland, for example. But it's making well, she's not a compelling character, actually she's very reactive. That's a terrible example. But <laughs> but having the yeah. world
1: is the character in, in yes. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. It doesn't have to follow
0: rules, it's brilliant. Yeah, if you make it compelling enough, mm-hmm. then people will have that intrigue and will forgive a lot because mm-hmm. they want the answers to the questions that yeah. you're posing. Do you find then that when you've got an end in mind and stuff like that, that you're asking yourself questions that you want to answer? Is that more your approach to plotting or is it just a ripping yarn and it's just, this is a really cool plot that I'd like to see panned out? <laughs>
1: I don't even think it's that conscious with me. Yeah. I think I just start and, and then I write a book. Uh, and then at the end, I find out what it's about. Yeah. Oh, oh, I was writing about that. Okay. And there are a couple of things that that I try and keep in mind. I've got a friend who, who's a screenwriter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and he told me the greatest thing about characters is that if you know what they want and what they need, and that those two things work against each other, you have a character set up then. That works for most of my characters, like Joran in, in The Bone Ships. He thinks he wants to be a brilliant never commander, or actually what he wants is a friend uh, and to fit in someone. And he never really realizes that, but that, that's his story of going through, but mostly it's very exploratory for that word, panser, which is an ugly word. <laughs> it's it's just, it's just not nice. Exploratory, that's a good thing.
0: Yes. Well, actually it's the. This will make sense for any of our listeners now because that's far in the future hmm. but the episode that just was released yesterday the author described himself as a pantser and I was like you need to explain that to the audience because that's <laughs> yeah. a that's a very yeah. much an an in industry term yeah um yeah it's writing by the seat of your pants but yeah, yeah. So it's it is i don't like it either which is like you're describing it no. you're you're explaining what you've just said <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Exploratory, feel, we'll use that. Yeah.
1: yeah, exploratory. Yeah, I don't ever feel like I am. Right. I've got friends that plan and plan a detailed story out. And they say, and they might write like 30 or 40,000 words plan. But all I do is I do that as a first draft of my book. It's the same thing. It's just calling it different bits of the yeah. process. But it is the same process. I'm I'm doing a plan. It's just most of it the reader will get to read. Yeah. Hopefully.
0: Fingers uh, <laughs> crossed. And, and how long... Does a first draft usually take you, would you say?
1: Well, there's the thing. Um, Varied amount of time. I wrote the Cozy Crying book, which we've got edits for. I wrote the first draft of that in two and a half weeks. Oh, wow. 75,000 word book. And it was just really easy. But there's a lot of work to do on it. So that that tells you something. (laughs) Age of Assassins, my first fantasy novel, I wrote in six weeks. Okay. But that was steroid-assisted. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause I was quite polite at the time and I had a course of steroids and that was brilliant for writing, you know, a bit look a, a bit like a moon faced weirdo, but you write a lot and then each book, each sort of fantasy book has got longer and longer since I think it took me 11 months to write The Boneship's Wake, which is the third Boneship's yep. book. And it took me about 10 months to write the second one. I think the second one was the first time I really didn't enjoy writing a book. It was hard just. Because sometimes you have a crisis of confidence. I think it, the middle of writing that book coincided with the first book coming out. Right. And, and it's, it's a really, I'm not a stressy or, or, a, or a person who gets help yeah. about stuff. It's not in my nature, but even though it's subconscious, when a book is coming up to release and you don't know what people are going to be thinking, it's there in the back of your head. And I think I was halfway through this book thinking, have I just written something terrible? Oh no. And that kind of ground to a halt crime books. I can do a 70,000 word novel. that's reasonably good in three months.
2: Hmm.
1: Like the first man Jackie book took three months. The second one took three months, 70, yeah. 70,000 words in three months. Isn't unrealistic for me. I can do that. I'd have to do a real job though. I think that's important that people understand that this is all I do. And and I think one of the most useful, because people always have to advise and really into advice because I think we're all very unique people that need to find yeah. their own. But, but something I do that I think is useful for me is I give myself permission to be rubbish. Mm-hmm. I just write, I'm going to write a book and it's going to be awful. Yeah. And, I, and that's fine because once you've finished it, you can make it good. It's yeah. much easier to make something awful good than it is to write something really good off the bat. It works in the edits for me. So mm. write a book reasonably quickly and edit better.
0: Yeah. and Edit, edit good. <laughs> and... Um... <laughs> how how long do the edits vary as well have they taken longer as you've written more books or are they getting shorter as you get longer first drafts
1: I tend to write quite closely to what you get in the end reasonably the next fantasy book I think I'm going to be making some bigger change I wrote it in first person and okay. then I made it I said yeah, are you sure that's the right point of view and there's been something annoying about it I don't know what it was I so just uh and as soon as she said that, I just thought, yeah, you're right. That's what I missed. It's, it's not a first person book. Oh, I write right. first person when I'm tired. Yeah. If I'm Good. tired and I'm writing, then what I'm writing will slip into first person as I go mm. through. And I just thought, yeah, cause it's not work for me. It's easy. Mm. It, it's the easiest form for me. It flows out when I'm doing first person. And I thought, yeah, I was slacking Perfect. this book, slacking and writing in first person and by changing it to third, it allows me to do a lot of stuff that I thought about and didn't do. So this edit will take longer because I'm doing that. But it's usually about two and a half months for a 150,000 word book, maybe a month, two weeks mm-hmm. for a 70,000 word book. Depends on how much work there is to do. Yeah. Really. It can be quite quick or it can be quite slow. Changeable like the weather. That's fine.
0: My... <laughs> oh, talking about changeable, I was going to ask for consistency for the next one. With your editor, do you have the same editor for all your books or do you have uh, one for a certain trilogy? Have, have they uh, changed over time? What's no, your- I
1: have Jenny Hills at Orbit who does all my fantasy stuff. And I'm very much a creature of habit. I, mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm not. That's a lie. I'm, I'm a creature of chaos. You're changeable but like also, the weather. Oh, yeah, Jen. I'm changeable like said. the weather. <laughs> but when it comes to working with people, I try to only work with people I would be friends with in real life. It's like my agent, the minute I spoke to him, I just thought, yeah, yeah, I want. Want to be our client and we get on it makes me laugh and the reason i like being with his agency is all the people he employs i also yeah. get on with and think of funny i think yeah you've got a good ethic and orbit are very similar to that i get on with them all like them all jenny's jenny knows what i'm trying to do and she always makes my books more me and i trust her and if she left orbit to go somewhere else i would probably want to follow her because she's my editor and i like yeah. her as my editor and other editors are probably great but i've not worked with them so mm. So I, I don't know. And then my crime ones, I have Nick, that's a different type of editing. They tend to be quite, because it's an indie publisher, so it's not quite as in-depth, maybe. Crime books are really, I said easier, and easy is not the right word. It, it's easier that you don't have to keep this whole world in your head and, and make loads of notes about what things are called, which infuriates me, because I never do it. And then, then I just think, oh, what was that thing called? So there's big gaps in my first drafts. So. Tree thing, man. <laughs> but um a crime book, you don't have to do that because you know mm. what everything's called, and you can say a yeah. car, people know what a car looks like. Say a block of flats, people know what it looks like. But a fancy plot is quite a sort of spacey, airy thing, yeah. not a lot has to happen, it can sort of toodle along, and what is considered pacing fantasy isn't maybe in other genres, yeah. but a crime plot is like clockwork and it has to all Clocking together, not clocking together. And that that's the hard work bit. It's making, it's making sure that person that's there in chapter one mm. is in the right place and they're doing the right thing. With the Man and Jackie books, it just seems to work in my head. Mm. Other stuff I've done, it hasn't. Like the, the Cozy Crime one, I have yeah. to go back to that and go through it again. But the Man and Jackie so there's not actually much editing done. Those. It's more copy edits. And my, my agent does edits too and stuff yeah. that's going out unseen. Like stuff that goes to orbit a bit different because I'm there also yeah, and there's an expectation they're going to pick it up because I'm doing all right. But other stuff that goes out on spec, it, Ed will edit it, Ed Wilson, my agent, and he's probably actually the hardest editor that I deal with. Okay. Because he will just write stuff like, stop being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. uh, or this writing's awful, you can do better. It, <laughs> um, <sort of>. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ed, Building more confidence up. Yeah. But, um, but I can hear his voice, he makes me laugh. So, yeah, but I like editing. I like being challenged. Yeah. I think... I think that's when often the most interesting stuff will come out. Because mm. your editor will say, you can't do this. And I don't hear that. I hear, find a way to do this thing that you clearly want to do. So I don't take a lot of stuff out, but I'll change how things work. And Jenny's generally right. The only time I've ever gone against her advice is um, in the bone ships. I think there's a three, four pages of how to load your weapon. And she was just like, this is too much. It's too much detail. And I was like, no, Jenny, you can't write a naval book without an overly complicated sequence where you load the cannons. It's just not, it's just not an evil book otherwise. It's You have to it's, have that yeah. in. Yeah, it's the rules, Jenny. And like, oh, okay, you can yeah. have that. But you're taking this bit out later. And I was like, oh, okay, you can have that.
0: So for you, what makes a good editor? What is it about an editor that they bring to your writing that you don't do automatically?
1: A good editor makes you more you. That, that's what they do. They understand what you're doing and they improve it. I'm a terrible editor. Occasionally people will contact me and say, will you have a look at my thing? And I always say no, because I'm a monster. And I'm not an editor. Mm. I'm a writer. And if you sent me something you'd written and said, can you have a look through this? What I would do was try and rewrite that thing as though I'd done it. Mm. And I have very particular interests. So your 5,000 word short story is lovely, but you mentioned a talking cat on page two. And I think it should be about that cat. Just get rid of the rest of it. Yeah, I want to know about the cat. Tell me all about the cat. Um, and a, a good editor takes your thing and says, this is what they're trying cool. to do with it. With, with the final boneshit book, I can't remember what it was. It was two things that Jenny mentioned to me, one well, at the beginning one at the end. And they looked like separate threads in the stories. And I suddenly realised that actually, when she said it, that they weren't they were connected and they should be connected and I have not done it. And it was just like somebody grabbed the whole book and just Mm. twisted the ends and tightened it. And that's what makes her good, that she understands technically how things work, which I have no idea of. I have to Google what adjectives are. I didn't go to school. I was going to be a rock star. And that's what makes her good. She knows it and she tries to make it more me. She's not, she's.
0: Has that developed over time or was it like the first feedback you gave was like, oh my God, she understands me. I'm sticking with yeah. this person. That was straight away.
1: It's straight away. It's the first comment she came back with. I'm afraid of assassins. Just, yeah, you get it. You get what yeah. I'm trying to do with this. You understand. And you're making it better. That's yeah. what you're doing. And it's been that way all along. And I, and I, I like her. I'd hang around mm. with her if it wasn't. And she's just really, really good. And she, she's made everything I do better. I, I'm quite sure you probably wouldn't have heard of me if, if, wow. if I'd had a different edit. If I'd self-published them, you definitely wouldn't have done <laughs> Yeah. Because it, the the assassin book. There's a big battle at the end of it, mm. and originally that that wasn't there because I wasn't interested in. Yeah. I was interested in telling a who done it. So it just finished with the crime, but the, that's who did it. Yeah, and uh, Jenny was like, "You you are, you are aware there's a war going on." <laughs> so yeah, I'm not interested in this. You know, well, your readers will be interested in that. Yeah. So you have to tell them. So, kidding. People hitting each other with swords. I have to.
0: I think. A lot of times with a lot of how-to writing guides and masterclasses Mm. and all those things, it's very hard to define what makes a good editor. And a lot of people just say, get an editor, get a professional editor. You you will not be able to make your book as good as it can be without it. Mm. But I think what you've said there is the most concise, brilliant way. It's like they make yourself better. They make a better version of you. And it's people who are maybe listening to this and trying to get an editor if the person's coming back with what seems like good advice but they don't seem to understand you that's mm. probably not going to be a lifelong working relationship i don't think it should
1: it should ever feel destructive what you're getting from an editor it never does from jenny even when it when it's it's let's take this out in blood of assassins there was a i, I tell this story a lot of people listen to other podcasts with me and just yeah. just skip the next minute. There was originally an epilogue on the front of it. Not, not an epilogue. A prologue. Prologue, yeah. Oh, yeah. Words are difficult. I have problems.
0: God, you've told um, the story before. You can tell it again. Yes, I've told <laughs> the story.
1: Yeah, it's getting right. Um, and this prologue had this, this lovely sort of motif of an arrow in flight that I carried through the entire text and it was attached to a, a very emotional moment where she would be doing something and Jenny read that prologue and she went, this prologue shouldn't be here. it's rubbish. You've made a mistake. People will hate the main character and you've sold them on them liking him and he does something awful and i wrote a five-page email explaining why mm. actually it should be there and what he did and why it was there and i think it should be there and why it was there and i got to the end of this email and thought no she's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah all my reasons yeah. are wrong uh, and it, it adds nothing and it doesn't yeah. make us like you okay so that yeah. went gone and, and and that that's what I like she's not frightened of telling when i'm completely wrong she will say this is bad take it out
0: okay so it sounds like you've got like a really strong team uh with you with jenny and uh, with ed your agent do you have Mm. any beta readers before it gets to them because i know some authors have either peers or just your close friends Mm. that they have for initial feedback or is that just straight to jenny
1: I do have beta readers that read most of my stuff. They don't always read it before Jenny, just because sometimes I don't finish it until the day it's meant to go for Jenny. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of us do that. But I have three, and they've read my stuff for a long time, since before it was published. Uh, and I like that because they know me. I know what they think, and I know how they think. And, I know, and a lot of the stuff they say, I just ignore. They know that. Don't care, because I know what fascinates them, and that they're very particular readers. And I like that they pick me up on stuff. And one of them, my friend, Matt, I would go and play badminton with him and he would let me talk stories at him, which is brilliant. And, and while we were playing, I'd just sort of come to the net and go, and then what happens is, and I'd talk at him, he'd sort of talk back to me. And, and I think that was a really good way of me working out stories. In fact, in the bone ships, there's a creature called a galeem, which is like a, an avian wizard that can control mm. the wind. Very useful for sailing ships. And that's entirely Matt because I, I'd been explaining to him how this was a world where there were only birds, there's not mammals. Yeah. And there's also these wizards that can control the wind. And we were coming out of Badminton and he said, I love the idea of the bird wizards that control the wind. And I was like, no, Matt, it's not what I said. Birds and wizards that control the wind. But by the time I came home, I had this amazing idea for the, yes. these bird wizards. Yeah. And when I told him about him, he really liked it. So that's where they came from. And that's why the um, third book's dedicated to him. Oh, amazing. Because <laughs> they yeah, because yeah, he, he, gave me that idea and and it's it's having people to bounce stuff off is Mm. really useful writers groups are really useful and i'm not sold on the use of going to a learning to write thing Mm. as in and of itself yeah but the fact that you go to them and you meet other people doing the same thing i think that's immensely useful i think being around people who do it is actually more useful than going and listening to someone telling you how to do it, which I'm never sure you get that much out. I know when I started, I don't think they were really very helpful at all cause I did yeah. a couple just before it got published and they were quite helpful just in letting me hear somebody talk about how they're right and being able to think, yeah, I'm doing that, but I'm doing it this way.
2: Yeah.
1: And that, I think when you start off, it's really about trying lots of different ways to yeah. see which works for you. And until you finally get it into your head that no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> You can make some terrible mistakes.
0: That's the exact purpose of this podcast is that I'm not an aspiring writer, but I know many. And it's just, yeah, having an outlet where you can have professional authors all say, yeah, we have no idea what we're doing. But we all have no idea what we're doing in different ways.
1: Everything you do, it is just tricks to Mm. get you to sit in front of a computer and type stories. Yeah. It's just about, someone, someone was saying to me that they do masses of world building. And someone else I say, oh, RJ doesn't think you need to do that. And that's not what I say. I, I don't think I need to do that mm. at all. But if doing that is what gives you the confidence to sit down and think, right, I can write a book now, then then that's what you need to do. And, and, uh, and I'm an idiot. I just sit down and write a book and it's probably not the best way of doing it. Especially not when you get to the end and realize that you've not made notes for all these things you have to remember for two more books.
0: Yeah. But you've still got the book. So you still got that note. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. But that means reading it again. And by true. the time it comes out, you're really sick of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's just my hope with this podcast is that because everyone's different, someone will listen to more than one episode. You listen to a few and disagree with some, and then they'll find someone who goes, oh, they write like I yeah. do, or they think that mm-hmm. I do. And the more people I interview, the more the podcast has all these variable styles. That hopefully long-term listeners will find someone that resonates. That's my dream. I do
1: a thing called write-up with two other writers called Kit Power, who's a horror writer, Mm -hmm. and Scott K. Andrews, who's who's like science fiction, and he writes TV-related books and things like that. One of the things we've discovered, because we talk to writers and we talk to people around and in the industry, and and people write different things like TV and stuff like that, is it's about finding what gives you the joy in doing it. Yeah. And if you're sitting down and just enjoying doing it, you're never wasting it. It doesn't matter if it's published or not, because mm. you might be six months away from publishing, you might be five years away from publishing. But if you're enjoying it, you're learning and the enjoyment of it will teach you that you enjoy doing that thing. So you'll do that thing more. And that's how I try and think of everything. I wish I could tell myself I enjoyed jogging. That, that <laughs> didn't stick. I didn't even stick a little bit.
0: <laughs> um, one thing I do want to sort of because like, you did say earlier, um, when you're writing the second bone chips book that there's some anxiety because the, the launch of the first one have you ever had like severe imposter syndrome where it's just i can't write someone's going to find that actually i'm just a pile of shit and i'm never going to get published again and if so how how did you deal with that
1: i, th- I think it, some level of imposter syndrome is constant mm. And and I'm suspicious of people who just say, like, yeah, it's fantastic. I can do that because it, it took me a long time to realize that the more sure someone is the right, the more likely it is to be an idiot because it, it, it's the people who go, oh, well, I'm not really sure, but it could be this. They're still questioning everything and people who question things are learning and doing interesting stuff. People who are sure they've stopped. So it's always there. It's a really difficult thing to answer because I'm not an anxious person or, or a stressy person, but being a writer is a weird career because you you are always aware it could just stop. Mm your next book come out and no one might buy it in which case it will stop you have to well it, it won't stop you have to reinvent yourself and come under another name and, and come back and do something different but i also I think that imposter syndrome drives me i've said before that i think there's within me there is a much better writer than me and he's always just over the hill and I, i'm chasing him and i'm always chasing him i'm trying to catch him uh, and write back and that's why i think you can tell quite an early stage if you cut out for it or not Mm. but if you get comments is your reaction oh my god i'm destroyed or is your reaction well no i'm going to show you because that's always my reaction
2: yeah
1: i never hear no i hear not yet right Uh, it's a fine line being a writer it's like a tightrope yeah between the massive arrogance of standing up and going, Now, I'm not only good at telling stories, I'm good enough that you should pay me money for it. Yeah. That's how good I am. And you need to believe that. Yeah. Because especially when you start, no one else is going to. Yeah. And also at the same time, thinking, I do, however, need some help and maybe I'm rubbish.
2: Hmm.
1: And because th- those, Two bits fighting allow you to do it. Because if you want to take, if, if take any editorial advice, there's a number of authors you can check out who've taking editorial advice. And you could tap, you read yeah. their books, they become self-indulgent mm. and, or just bad. Because it, it, it's a necessary part of it for 90% of us, 95% yeah. of us, nearly all of us, to, to have that sort of pushback on what we do. I never feel like I know what I'm doing. Mm. I always think the book I've delivered to my editor is the worst thing I've ever written. Every single time, because I did it with this, I handed in my newest book. and said to Jenny, so this is a terrible book. It's, you can hear it. It's not very good. And then she turned around and said, you, you do know you said that for every single one of the Bone Ships books. And I said, like, oh, did I? I thought they were quite good when I handed in. She said, no, you said they were awful. Because you self-edit in your, in your mind. Yeah. In my mind, I like handed in the Bone Ships book. I, mean, I was like, yeah, Bone Ships, it's
2: brilliant. We're going to yeah. love it.
1: But did no, I went, no, no, no. You know, it's a bit long. <laughs> not much happens with the first yeah. half of the book it's just people talking oh, might be terrible so yeah i'm very aware that there's a really sure of themselves person inside me and there's also a really oh my god it's rubbish yeah. person at the same time
0: but i think you mentioned earlier a, a great bit of advice uh which is that you give yourself permission to be shit and i think that is definitely when writing first drafts a lot of people yeah. get, get anxiety paralysis where they can't think of the best way of phrasing it, so they don't write anything Mm -hmm. at all. And it's just write what you can in the way that you can and worry about revision later. It can always be better. Don't worry Mm -hmm. about it being shit.
1: I've quite often not found the voice of the book until I finished Mm it. The stuff that I handed into Jenny, I then went straight into the second book and I wrote like 20,000 words or something. I always overestimate what I've written. Then I go back to it like three months later and find out I've written 5,000 words. and I'm really disappointed. <laughs> oh, I a lot less work. But it it was only writing those bits to the second book that I suddenly realized something that really needed to be in the first book. So I was, I'm quite glad publishing is slow, but you don't expect, you don't know what that thing is going to be until, until it is a thing. Yeah, And then when it is a thing, you can make it a better thing.
0: And... Do you feel that you've progressed as an author? Do you feel that, you know, sort of with all these books that have been published and have sold quite well, mm. that you've grown as a writer, that you have you consciously learned things from each book that you've written? No. <laughs> <I've learned> not. <laughs> That's not what you were expecting, was it? I did no.
1: from your face. No, you were not expecting that. No, I've not mm. learned anything um, consciously. I've undoubtedly learned a lot unconsciously. And, and the reviews are getting better. Mm some sort of critical reviews are getting better for e- each book as they go along. So I'm doing stuff, but I am, I i never think about the process. I, I just do it. Yeah. I don't ever put myself in a position where I'm thinking, oh. I, I tell you something I do, do is that there's things that I think I'm not going to do. Okay. Like second person, I just bounce straight off and mm. I'm just, I'm, not, I'm never going to do it. I don't like it, but there is second person writing in the book that I've just written. Okay. And also I, I don't particularly get multi-point of view books. Mm. I like one one point of view. But the next thing I do is going to be like three or four points of view. And I think there's something in the back of my head that just goes, yeah, push yourself. Just this thing you don't think you like, see if you can make yourself like it. Just yeah. just have a go at it and see. I think I am always wanting to try new things. Yeah, I'm very conscious of a wish to be a better writer than I am.
0: So pursuing the better writer over the hill.
1: Yeah, 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 I wish he'd stop running. He clearly jogging stuck with him <laughs> and, and it didn't with me. I and mean, it's like him hey, going, oh, yeah. please slow down. Please, please slow down a bit. But I want to be better, but I don't, I'm not the sort of person that can read a book and yeah. about how to write and then take that away. Yeah. I have to do it and fail spectacularly. That's, that's how I learn and then by doing, not by listening to other people or watching videos or anything. it doesn't. <laughs> sit in my head at all just forget
0: it (laughs) and so is there anything that you would love to achieve in the future with your you said there's like multi-points of view is something that you've veered away from but is there anything else or maybe a different genre perhaps or is there just um a stylistic thing maybe a a different medium like a screenplay or or a comic book or something like that that you would really aspire to do in the future i don't
1: know but i just I'm a very live-in-the-now person. I'm just, uh, this is what I'm doing at this moment. I'm excited by it. I am talking with a friend about doing a screenplay of the Mal and Jackie books, seeing okay. what we can get, see if we can get any interest in that, just cause that, I like TV crime and yeah. not, I'd like to see that. But it's, it's all, you're aware of how very unrealistic it is to expect to get something of yours on television. It's just not, not going to happen. Um, my pharmacy is never going to be on television. First time my agent about it. And it's, oh, I see you've sold quite a lot of TV rights. And he went, yeah, they, they don't write on filmable books, RJ. You should think about that. Uh, yeah. Big ships too expensive, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to write a science fiction novel because I like science fiction, and I've written one, my first book that was good enough to sell, but didn't quite. Was a science fiction novel, and I went back to it, and it wasn't. I'm glad it didn't sell. I didn't like it, um, and I'd like to write more crime. I just like to write, really. I remember so I used to play in bands and I realized that I was a terrible musician, but I really enjoyed doing it. Mm. And eventually I was in a band that were just so far outstripping my meagre uh, abilities. I just said, look, I'm stopping now. This isn't for me. And I thought, what can I do? What do I love? And, and I had a book in my pocket. Mm. And I thought, well, I love books. I've always loved books. So I decided I was going to be a writer. And I knew from that moment the absolutely astronomical odds of mm. becoming a writer and how really unlikely it was. Because I, I, I was I wasn't gonna be a self-published writer, I was gonna be a writer signed to a big publisher. That was what yeah. I was gonna do. And that was what I decided straight off. Not there's anything wrong with self-publishing, I just know I'd be really bad at it because I'm not thorough, and you have to be really thorough. So I, I and also as I mentioned, didn't exactly go to school because I was gonna be a rock star, obviously. Mm. Didn't need to go to school. That that was a miscalculation on my part. Um, so I I wrote Uh, And I read a lot and I kept writing and reading a lot and writing and reading a lot. And it took me a long time, 10, 12 years. But eventually I I ended up with a book signed to a big publisher. Mm. And I've never not been aware of how astoundingly unlikely it is to be in that position. I've already won. There isn't a place for me to go that makes it better than it already is. Because the guy who barely went to school is somehow a published writer.
0: Award-winning published writer. Yeah.
1: award-winning published writer and they call the literary fantasy yes yes, yes. I'm, I'm literature don't yes. you know um i'm sure actual literature writers have been laughing this stuff but but yeah and, and it's i'm never not aware of how amazing it is mm. and and I, I i was really ill and that kind of knocked me out for five years so i'd start again so it's just everything is just honey when the first book came out it just it changed my life entirely yeah. and i just said to my wife it doesn't matter if this is the only book I ever publish, it happened uh, yeah. and we, we just had the most amazing year of our life, but it just, it's continuing uh, yeah. and I'm amazed. That's great. And my life is full of joy. Just that's all it is. Well, on, we, we've gone all, all lovey-dovey, haven't we? we just yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I was going to say yeah. that is a wonderful place to wrap it up of just yeah. live in the moment, allow yourself to be shit, Ooh. surround yourself with good people yeah. and it can always be better and uh, chase your future self over chase. the hill. Yeah. Um, do, yeah. And Vimto. <laughs> Um, and we've, we've covered yeah. it all. Yeah, we have. Yeah, RJ, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you very much joy. for being my guest today. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's been lovely. Thanks, Tom.
0: And that was the real writing process of RJ Barker. He's a lovely man, and you should read more of his books. You can tell he's quite proud of the Bone Ships, but you should pick up a copy of A Numbers Game under his pen name R.J. Dark. It's a solid thriller, and the sequel is now available for Kindle download. I appreciate not everyone likes Amazon, but if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can get both Mal and Jackie books for free. So deal with that information however you see fit. And uh, if you want more of his general random musings, he's very active on Twitter and produces some good stuff, so worth a follow. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce his Twitter handle though It doesn't have enough vowels I'm sure it's an in-joke reference or something Uh, It will be in the show notes, however Also in the show notes is a link to my Ko-fi page If you'd like to support the show by paying £1 or more That would be lovely There's a bunch of extra bonus content coming very, very soon And you get episodes like this one nice and early And uh, that's it Next week's guest is a pretty big one So keep an eye out for that Uh, So until then, thanks for listening And may you always keep writing Until the World Ends.
3: Time can never be Your trusted friend Or your sworn ally no, it's the harshest mistress of all. And life is just a chain of moments spent, a thousand hellos and goodbyes. Maybe a love like ours can leave out its call.